The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. And once you have it, turn in your copy of God's Word to Mark 11. Mark 11, that's where we're going to be this morning, continuing our series uh, called, Who is This Messiah? That's our series today, our series that we've been in. We took a little break for Christmas, but now we are back in it and we'll actually be here for uh, a good portion of the spring. As we work our way through it in the spring of 2020, let me just ask this, who's ready for 2020? Anybody? Yeah? Some of y'all? Some of y'all are eager for it? It's a new year, new opportunity. Let's get it, right? Yeah? How many of you are just a little apathetic, ambivalently? Like, I've seen a lot of years come and go, and 2020 is just another one of them, right? Some of us there? Who's unprepared or unexcited for 2020? Anybody? I got some unfinished business in 2019, and I've only got a few days to do it. Well, wherever you are, I myself am personally excited for us at Redemption. Just in January alone, we have some exciting things. Next week's our grand opening, right? I mean, I know we're meeting in here, but uh, this week, a lot of the kind of uh, final pieces are coming together. And as we open our doors to the community here, it's our grand opening. Then the week after that, Cade gets installed as an elder. So that's exciting. And we have baptisms coming. And that's right, we can clap for that. It's, it's exciting things that are uh, on the docket as uh, we turn to 2020. And those are just some exciting things for us, even even just that, to see it in the perspective of what God is doing among us as he is building his church, as Jesus is being exalted here, like the building is exciting, but then we also like, we have uh, men and women who are stepping up to lead God's people. We have people that are coming to faith and, and proclaiming it in the waters of baptism, and that's just exciting things. And that's not even mentioned, we got new members that will be um, uh, introduced to you soon. We're expanding our kids' discipleship, right, as the daycare is a uh, close to completion, right? So uh, very soon here, we'll be able to do our our kids' ministry next door and be able to expand it and be able to offer um, increased ages as our kids are, it's important to disciple our kids, isn't it? Got child dedications coming. If you've had kids recently, or maybe just a kid recently, I don't think we've had any twins in here, but got that coming and all kinds of things. A small group multiplying, like what else does King Jesus have in store for us in 2020, right? It's an exciting days ahead for us as we move into this new season. And in Mark 11, it actually kind of transitions in Jesus' life to a new season for him as well. This is the last season, actually, in Jesus' uh, human life here on earth. It's the uh, Mark 11 through 16 uh, outlines the the last week of Jesus' life and as he enters into Jerusalem and will make his way to the cross here. And it's, it's fascinating that really one-third of this book of Mark's gospel here is devoted to the last week of his life. And so we're going to make our way through it, uh, ending on the resurrection on Resurrection Sunday. So yeah, that's, that's right. Basically from here till April, we're going to be in Mark 11 through 16. So buckle up and we'll make our way through it. What's interesting as, uh, uh, as Jesus makes his way into this last new season is we know what's coming. Jesus knows what's coming. He's told us three times already, right? He has predicted what is going to happen in chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. And so he knows and we know also that he is heading to his what? To his death to his death. Actually, interestingly enough, at a recent small group, uh, uh, Alyssa and I were just 
talking, I don't even know how we got on this topic of conversation, but we were talking about how our life would change or not change if we knew the day of our death. If we knew we just had a week yet to live or a year, hey, 2020 is all we got. What would that change about the way that we live our life? You know, we think it was just like, no, we live every day as if today's our last day to live, right? No, you're all like, no, 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 we don't. I don't either, but I might. I, prob- I think I would if I knew that this was the last day or the last week of my life. But here's the thing about Jesus. If we were to sum up our verses that we'll read in just a moment, here's the thing about Jesus. It's this, that Jesus meets the last week of his life with confidence in the word of God and among praise from the people of God. That's how we would sum this up. Jesus meets this last week of his life with confidence in the word of God and among praise from the people of God. Should we read it now? You want to? Yeah? Let's look at it together. Mark 11, 1 through 11. This Look at your copy of God's word and I'll read it here for us. It says this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go uh, into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is God's word for God's people. Your Bible probably has the title, the triumphal entry at the top of it. Does it not? Does your Bible have that? Yeah, you probably, if you're familiar with the gospel, if you're familiar with Jesus' life, you know or this traditionally this event is called the triumphal entry. But if we didn't have that tradition, if we didn't have that title, if we didn't have that kind of uh, that teaching behind us, you might just read this if it was just kind of set before you, and you might title it "How to Commandeer a Colt." As the you know, it's really seven or eight of the. 11 verses here are all about them (laughs) procuring this donkey colt. But what's the significance in it? What is it all about? They are drawing near to Jerusalem, it says. They are going through these towns, Bethphage and Bethany and at the Mount of Olives. But Jesus is drawing near. He is meeting the last week of his life with confidence in the word of God. And so here's our first point for us. Let us then also step out in expectant faith. Let us step out in expectant faith with him. 
See, as we come near this, isn't it been fun as we've worked our way through Mark up to this point to kind of track him? And hopefully uh, in your own study and as we've been going through it, you've got maybe a sense of the geography of the land of Israel. And so, you know, he's made that big kind of giant loop over the last several years doing his ministry. And now he's made his way back to Jerusalem, which really kind of sits at the center of the, uh, of the country more or less. And he's coming, he's approaching it from the east and he's at these two cities or villages really that are just outside Jerusalem and uh, are on the Mount of Olives. And so you have the city of Jerusalem and then you have this on the east side, this massive valley called the Kidron Valley and up that is the Mount of Olives and then these two towns, Bethany and Bethphage, are right there. It's a majestic view. You visit Israel, you kind of come from there and it's really the iconic view is if you see pictures of modern day Israel with the, uh, you know, the golden dome that's in the middle as uh, it's looking down kind of from above, it's typically from the Mount of Olives there. It's majestic, and today it's covered with tombs. It's covered with tombs because what's interesting as we read this here, we're also getting a foreshadowing as to just who this person is. Who is this Messiah? Well, he's the king. In Zechariah 14, verse 4, you can look it up this afternoon or this week in your own time with the Lord. We're told that when the Lord returns, when the king comes, he will come and he will step foot on the Mount of Olives as he comes to take back Jerusalem. So there's some foreshadowing here though of just who this man is. And so Jesus is coming through. He's making his way into Jerusalem now. And he just right off the bat, he gives directions he gives instructions to two of his disciples. We're not told who they are. I mean, you kind of wonder maybe who these are. Like, who did Jesus tell to go get the donkey? Whose job was that? Was that like Judas's job or something? I don't know. Maybe it was James and John, right? Just last chapter we saw they wanted to be the greatest. And so now Jesus is like, hey, James, you know, why don't you, and you want to be great? Well, how about you be useful first and go give me a, uh, a cold? Yeah. We don't know. They're just left unnamed. It's really not that important uh, but because what is important is what is happening as Jesus is getting this colt. And things happen exactly as he tells them. He says, hey, go into this city. You'll find a colt just out there that no one has ever sat on it. And if they ask you this, say the Lord has need of it and we'll send it back here immediately. And that's exactly what happens. I walk into town, voila. There's a little donkey, and these were the, the, these colts are donkey. You know, as we think of, they're not like big horses or anything that you or I would probably really like to ride on. The donkeys of those days, these colt that they were, they're probably only about, you know, three, maybe three and a half feet tall. I mean, it would be quite the sight if a guy like you know my build, average build, tried to ride one of these things. It's just kind of a small donkey and one that had never actually been ridden. And so, what is all of this about here? What is, is, is it just the, the king is here and he's enacting his uh, right of eminent domain? Familiar with that? The right of the government to come and, you know, uh, take property or possessions for the uh, good of public use? You know, in America, then it's, you actually get, are supposed to be compensated for that. Is that what the king's doing here? Is he just coming? Like, everything belongs to the Lord, right? And now he's coming. He doesn't have a donkey. He doesn't have a colt. Is that what's happening here? Maybe. I don't know, you're all just looking at me like, we don't know, what's happening? Well, I don't think it's just eminent domain. Yes, everything does belong to the Lord, right? All of our stuff, all of our possessions, and so if the Lord needs it, here you go, Lord, right? That's, uh, that's our attitude, but I don't think that's what's happening here. It's actually what's at play here is a fulfillment also of Zechariah 9.9. 9. 
We've seen a glimpse of Zechariah 14, 4, but actually turn over there, if you will. Turn to Zechariah. Do you know where that is? It's in all those hard to pronounce ones in the back of your Old Testament. If you have your Bible on your phone, it's like you can cheat because you can just look and scroll and touch it. But if you have like a Bible like this, you have to find it. Unless you have those cool tabs. Anybody have the tabs on the side? Zechariah 9.9. It's a great, uh, uh, you know, one of the minor prophets. And it is full of prophecies about the coming of the king. And here is, just listen to this. I want to read it for us. It's Zechariah 9.9. And you'll see now what is at play here in our passage. It says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Wow. What's happening? What is this a sign that we are seeing fulfilled uh, right among us? The king has arrived, coming with righteousness, having salvation with him, and yet coming humble and mounted on this colt. Here in Zechariah prophesied many, many, many years before the event we just read in Mark 11, before this triumphal entry, this was prophesied. Here was the sign, the sign that was hundreds of years before, and now they have arrived. Anybody travel anywhere, see a sign? Dallas, 100 miles ahead, and then we arrived. Zechariah 9, 9, the king will come on the foal of a donkey, and now we have arrived. As we, as we thought about Christmas, we just went through, we saw all kinds of prophecies about his birth and also now about his death in the last days of his life. It's quieter. It's maybe more obscure than they anticipated, There's no military procession that's accompanying Jesus in. There's no royal pomp and circumstance accompanying it. It's just a humble entry. The king has come, but he has come not for his throne. He's come for his cross. He's come to be exalted on the cross, and the road ahead is one filled with suffering. Just as he said, right? He's told us three times. He knows exactly where he is going, and now uh, the hour has arrived. What I love about the book of John, as you uh, read in John's account of Jesus' life, is all along the way, uh, John will say these things that, uh, that his hour had not yet come. John will tell it. As you just read through it, you make these little marks. In my Bible, I put these little like clock circle with like some hands just to, as an indicator in, in, in my own Bible. But the, the disciples will want him to do things. They'll want him to, they want to crown him as king and John puts these things in there, but his hour had not yet come. But as you read in John, when this time comes, then it switches. And John will say, and now his hour had come his hour to be exalted his hour to suffer his hour that he would make his way to the cross and Jesus knew exactly what was happening here what we've seen all throughout Mark is that Jesus face was set he knew exactly where he was heading he was the king the one who was in control the king who knew what he was about to do he was the king who knew his bible perfectly and he obeyed He knew what was said about him and he acted then upon his understanding of the word of God and he steps out here. He meets it head on in confident dependence. 
See, Christ knew that unless he proceeded, then we were helpless. Christ knew that if he doesn't go to Jerusalem, if he doesn't walk this road, if he doesn't take the cup that was set before him, then we would be through. Salvation would not be accomplished. This was God's perfect plan that he had set out from the beginning that we might be saved. The very thing that was hinted at there in Zechariah. What would he be coming with righteous and having salvation, bringing it with him in his life and accomplished through his death? And that is how we are saved. Do you love that truth, church? Do you love the truth of Christ meeting his death, of meeting his suffering with confidence? That he stepped out, he knew what he was doing, and he came to win us as a people for his own possession. Do you love the gospel this morning? Pray that you do. If you're here, if you're joining us today, maybe you've been here multiple times and you don't know Christ as your Savior, if these are all foreign truths to you, if you're wondering, like, well, what is this? How can I be saved? The truth of the matter is you cast yourself on Christ. You trust in his death, the death that he died in your place, that he lived a perfect life in your place. By repenting of our sin and saying, God, I can't, do this. I know that I can't earn your favor, that nothing I can do or say would win me my salvation. But I confess you, Christ. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. You're the one who stood in my place. And as we pray that, as we, as we cast ourselves on Christ, then we are transformed and set free to live a life, a new life, stepping out in expectant faith of walking ahead, trusting that God is in control, trusting that, that Christ is uh, leading you now a new life in the spirit, walking by his spirit in newness of life. This is what we're called to do. As you reflect on 2019, let me just ask some of these questions here. As you reflect on 2019, how has God come through for you? How have you seen Christ come through? What's one way that you've just seen God at work? What's one way that you've seen your understanding of the character of God growing? What is a truth that you've kept coming back to? What is a scripture, a passage, a verse that has stuck, that's been one of those anchors in the storm? One of those truths about the character of God that has kept you from blowing right and left, that has kept you firmly planted and fixed in the steadfast love of God. Have you taken time to reflect on that? Have you taken time to give him thanks? As you meet 2020, as we step into this new year, what opportunities lie ahead? What challenges are before you? What is requiring an exorbitant amount of faith? What is requiring that next step that you're just like, I don't know if I can take this on my own. But clinging to the word of God, we will take the next step, an act of faith, trusting in the Lord. And as you do, as you step out, let us, like these in the passage, let us sing to Christ with expectant praise. This is our second point here as we move into the latter half of our passage. Let us sing to Christ with expectant praise. 
you know, they get the colt. Jesus tells them what to do exactly as it'll happen. And it all happens that way. And verse seven says that they brought the colt to Jesus and then they drape their jackets on it as a, as a saddle, right? Their kind of outer layer, their jacket, their, their, their cloaks, they lay it on uh, as a saddle. And this is a miracle in and of itself. An unbroken donkey here, this unbroken colt that it would allow someone to actually sit on it and not, you know, catapult it to the moon. That in itself is a miracle, right? This unbroken colt here, Jesus sits on it and it says, look here, many others, many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches, right? If you've been a part of like the, what we celebrate on Palm Sunday traditionally, right? Maybe you've been a part of more traditional services and the kids come waving, you know, the palm branches and all that. You've been a part of stuff like that, right? Yeah. That's what's happening here. They're coming and others are laying their jackets, they're laying these branches. It's similar to like this royal carpet. The king is here, the royalty is here, and so they have spread out their cloaks into the mud, allowing them to you know, be defiled as on the dirty road as the king walks across it. Jesus' reputation had preceded him. You know, after several years of ministry, how could it not? And that news has reached Jerusalem. And so surely these people have heard. Surely there was whispers of just who this might be, of the king has arrived. Is this the Messiah? Is this the one that has come to free us from Roman occupation? There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of anticipation. There's a lot of expectation about just who this Messiah is and what he had come to do. And so this reputation has come. And so what do they do? Jesus come to town and now they're shouting. You see here in verse nine, they're shouting, Hosanna, which literally just means, oh, save us now. Oh, save us now. And what they begin to shout is a kind of an iteration, a quote from Psalm 118. Verses 25 and 26, you can go and look at it. Psalm 118 is a great psalm. It's actually, will be quoted again in the next chapter, a different verse here, but they're shouting these things. Oh, save us now, Messiah, Hosanna. It's a similar expression, a, a, a burst of praise, like we might say, hallelujah, or amen. You could say, Hosanna, oh, save us, God. And they bless the one who has come. They bless Christ from where he has come from. Look what they say. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You've come as a messenger, as a ambassador. You've come in the name of our Lord. There's no one quite like this in what he is bringing with him. He's brought the coming kingdom of our father, David. They expect this great pr- promise now is being fulfilled. Second Samuel 7, what we've seen the last several weeks here, that the coming king, the, he is bringing with him the messianic kingdom of David. And I wonder here, as you read this, how long do you think they shouted? How far did they travel? Was it from the edge of town all the way up to the temple? Was it just like a few blocks and then their voices got hoarse and they decided to stop? We're not really sure. Mark records it here because it's significant. It's the sign, or the sign has, they've arrived at what was signified in Zechariah 9.9, but what is, like how long? I don't know. I'm not sure, but we know enough that they didn't, like the soldiers, the Roman soldiers didn't come to like stop the disturbance or anything. Luke's account are told that the Pharisees come and the Pharisees ask him to rebuke him or rebuke those that are yelling and rebuke the disciples. But they're shouting in expectant praise about who this Messiah, who this Christ is. He has brought with him salvation. 
He has brought salvation. And Jesus, however long it goes, you told in verse 11 that he goes, he goes straight to the temple for some recon work, right? He enters the temple, he looked around at everything. That's all like Mark just records. He like comes in, he's like inspector, does some recon, and then he heads back to Bethany for the night, likely to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. That's where they live. They're friends of his, likely to stay with them. But Jesus would be back the next day and come and clean house. Don't worry, we'll get to that next week. But he's doing some recon work. Like what is he finding here in the temple? But Jesus here, now he meets the last week of his life appropriately, being worshiped. You see this? He's entering his life. He's fulfilling this prophecy. He's stepping out in confident dependence, but he is also entering into the last week of his life appropriate as he should, as the king, as the Messiah, among the praises of his people. Now, there's some who might be skeptical of this. Well, did they, uh, did they know who he was or not? Were they misguided in, in their expectation that he would come on a military conquest? Was, uh, you know, were these the same people that are praising him now and one week later would reject him? Well, I don't know that it really matters. But what does matter is that Jesus is receiving the praise that is due him. All praise, all of our songs, all of our worship comes from sinful lips. None of us are perfect, whether we are perfect in our understanding or perfect in our actions, all the praise is due him. And I love that he is entering into the last week appropriately being praised as he should. The fact that Christ is being exalted as king, it, it actually kind of reminds me here of what we've seen uh, in this latter half of 2019. Who, who've, what celebrity figure have we seen this fall that has uh, come to Christ and written an album about it? Kanye West, right? You're like, uh-oh. We, should we listen to Kanye West or is he really saved? I don't know. Like some have been skeptical about him. Some have been skeptical. Is this just a celebrity stunt? Is this just a way to, for him to make uh, some more money? Is this a way for him to tap into evangelical, you know, this, uh, this, kind of the, this other tenet of, you know, money that's over here and like writing? I don't, I don't know. I'm not Kanye West. I don't know him. I've seen some pretty cool interviews of him professing Christ where he does seem to be a transformed man. But ultimately, I don't know. But like what Paul reminds us in Philippians 1, that whether Christ is being proclaimed in pretense or with selfish ambition, it doesn't matter so long as Christ is being proclaimed. And you know what I love about what, whatever he is? Is that on Times Square, every time his, his song being played on his album and, uh, and that big blue cover comes up and projected above probably the busiest uh, street in all of the U.S., it says, Jesus is King on every podcast, on every mobile device, on every computer, when his album comes up, what is right there staring at the listener? Jesus is king. For that, we can praise the Lord, right? For that, whether whoever it comes from, whatever the lips, whether his motives are pure or not, the fact that Jesus is being proclaimed as our king is praise that is due to him. As the Pharisees tell Jesus to rebuke his disciples for the praise that they are shouting to him, he says, well, if these guys are quiet, then the stones will cry out. So we might as well add our imperfect praise. We might as well sing out in expectant praise to the coming king, to the Christ. Why do I say that we should sing to Christ? Because singing is the expression, it's the overflow of a heart that's tuned into the grace of God. 
I hope that 2020 is a year of, of great singing for us, that we come ready to sing no matter how we feel, no matter uh, what our day has been like, no matter what it is, that we come ready to sing expectantly, to lift our voices to the Lord, singing to him with joyful praise. And so as you reflect on 2019, how have, how have you grown as a passionate, truth-filled worshiper? Have you? Are you more eager to follow Christ daily? Are you more concerned for the things of God as you reflect on how you've grown, the steps that you've taken, the, the ways that God has pushed you in 2019? Are you more passionate, truth-filled worshiper than you were this time a year ago? And as we meet 2020, how do we make it a year of greater worship? How do we make this next year a year of more expectant praise, of more hope for his return, of more hope for him of coming through, of living a life that is like, God, you have to come through, a life that is marked by following Christ is worth it where we have more joyful responsiveness to his commands and coming again, where we are filled and marked by uh, being a people of hope, living our lives to all glory to him in all things. As Jesus meets the last week of his life, he does so with confidence in the word of God and among the praises of the people of God. Can we follow him into that same thing? Can we follow him confident into the word of God? And can we follow him singing praise to him that is due to him? Can we be a people? Can we be a church as we head into 2020 marked by those things? Can we live lives, personal lives, marked by these things? This is my aim. I pray that you join me. pray that you join me in the pursuit of Christ as we head into this next year. You know, and as we close, we've done a lot of, of uh, reflecting this morning. Were you prepared for it? Were you prepared to become reflective? Maybe you were feeling that way already, maybe not, but we we're kind of putting it upon you this morning of some reflective worship. And so I've asked many questions here. I've asked uh, you to consider many things. I've asked you to think back over this last year. You're like, I, 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 need this. I need some quiet. I need some, I, I need some you know, some time. Well, we're gonna give you some of that. We're gonna give you that, and I'm gonna ask our worship team to come up here. We're gonna sing a, another song, but before we do that, uh, we're just gonna spend some time just in some quiet reflection. It's a few moments. Maybe you wanna write. Maybe you got your journal with you. Maybe you wanna write it on your sermon notes, but we're just gonna write and pray. We're gonna allow the silence and the quietness in here to be our friend as we listen for the voice of the Lord, as we sit under God's word and as we reflect on what this last year has been and what this year is coming. So would you just join me? I'm going to kick us off as we pray and then I'll just turn it over to uh, yourself as you um, spend some time praying, uh, talking to the Lord. God in heaven, we love you. And we're thankful just even as we think about your last week of life, as we think of the last year of our life, maybe even the last decade Christ, we want to be people that are marked by following you, that are confident in your promises, that are eager and ready and expectant worshipers. 
So would you hear our prayers now, God? Would you, by your spirit, would you move among us? Would you be transforming us from one degree of glory to the next as we meet with you now? In Christ's name.